0: Some common sense.
1: Yes, sir. They have the car stopped in
2: 10th and Grant's microbiome.
0: We
3: still don't know who pulled the trigger.
0: everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad, and with me tonight is retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How are you doing? Very good. And we have, this is her second time on the show, we have Dr. Debbie Goodman, uh, the Chair of the Criminal Justice Department at St. Thomas University in Miami. Deb, so nice to have you here.
4: Oh, so honored and delighted, Sergeant Bill, Detective Phil. I'm, I'm a big fan. and It has a ring
0: to it, Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil. <laughs> right, there, that's right?
4: going to be your next show. We'll just,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right, Sergeant Bill and Detective <laughs> Phil. You know, uh, Debbie, I know that you and uh, even your students, you've been following this case. Uh, we're into the fourth week. It's a horrific a murder of four college kids, ages of 20 and 21. And the twists and turns, like, there's some twists and turns, but it's like the the public and the press demand an arrest and demand a person of interest in the first three weeks. And and we don't have that right now. So a lot of people are, are freaking out. Um, some new information has come out. Sometimes it's coming out not the way the police want the information to come out. They want the information, obviously, to come out through them. And it's coming out through other means, through leaks and through uh, some of the parents, perhaps, leaking information that they would rather uh, not have them leak. Deb, you want to just talk about that, how that affects an investigation?
4: Sure, absolutely. And and if I may, uh, Sergeant Bill, Detective Phil, just to express truly my, my sincere and heartfelt condolences to the families of, of Kaylee and Madison, Ethan Zena. No no family should ever go through this. And and we know in our field that that just the loss of life in and of itself is is part of our field of crime law and justice. But we do know that that the loss of a parent, that's our connection to the past, the loss of a spouse, connection to the present but the loss of a child is the connection to the future. So the victimology and the victimization is so far reaching. And, and we could just remind our, our viewers about that. And we have three levels, right? We have primary, secondary, tertiary. So the primary victimization would be the loss of our, our four uh, college students and and that in of itself is just beyond atrocious astounding and and even those of us in the field we we can barely wrap our heads around this and next of course becomes the secondary victimization that becomes the family members the closest friends who are still in a state of shock and bewilderment as to how could it be and now the tertiary piece becomes the rest of us, the citizens and concerned and cared, caring members of society who also want to participate in some way of, of trying to help and heal. And so, when it comes to law enforcement, and kindly allow me to, to thank our close to 1 million local, state, and federal officers and agents who are so devoted and dedicated to our field. And, and with this case alone, we have at least uh, 100 members working round the clock to solve it. So now the question becomes how best to proceed? Well, the three of us know and certainly a lot of the viewers are involved in law enforcement and are individuals, uh, citizens who who want to uh, see justice rendered. And I feel strongly that it absolutely will be. But as we turn the corner here on the three weeks, I know there's been conversation about Why is it taking so long? Well, the reality is there is no clock on on how this is going to proceed. Every scenario is different. And you all have done this for decades, and and so have I from more of the academic and cerebral analysis of hundreds of cases dealing with murder, whether it's a singular murder, a double homicide, a mass murder, school-based shooting, and mass shootings, which we know unfortunately, statistically, and with data analytics, those have been on the uptick in the last three calendar years. So I feel very strongly with with high respect and regard that our law enforcement officials are doing their due diligence to ensure that every shred of evidence, and they've got thousands of pieces of evidence, that everything is being examined very carefully, very meticulously. And and Bill, the onset, Sergeant, when you're talking about well, who needs to know what? The reality is we need to allow the experts to do what they do best and to ensure that there is no error in decision making. So I do understand the victimology side of the coin, and as do both of you, and the victims, uh, meaning the secondary and tertiary, want the answers, want nothing more for the suspect. I know we'll get to that in the program. I do think it's a singular suspect, but our officials are doing their very best round the clock, and we will have this individual incarcerated, I believe, very soon.
0: Yeah, Debbie, I feel that um, we mentioned that, uh, you know, to not to blow our own horn, but Phil and I were on Banfield last night, and I'll show a little clip of that later on. But, Phil, uh, you know, we always refer to the talking heads on this case, and there's many behavioral analysis people on this case and they tend to speak in absolutes, like it's either this or it's either that. And as I was talking to you guys before the show, if they were that good at predicting, they'd be picking races at Aqueduct or picking lottery numbers, you know, because this is, sure. is a science and it's not an exact science. Uh, and Phil, I'm going to play a little bit after I get you to comment. I'm going to play a little bit of a um, Banfield had a a really good Uh, former FBI profiler on her show last night, and he spoke to that exact topic. Phil, your feelings.
3: My feelings. I just want to piggyback a little bit on what uh, Dr. Goodman said. Um, You know, with what's going on in this case, the families, there's a lot of emotion. I watched a press conference, uh, not a press conference, an interview of the uh, captain, uh, I believe it was Captain, uh, chief, police chief James Fry earlier today. He became emotional several times. He has daughters. I have three daughters, college age. Uh, anybody that has a child is going to have this feeling. This is not something you can turn off. That was the exact words that he said. So I think there's a lot of emotion behind uh, working this case. And when I worked high profile homicides, like specifically in this case, um, there was no time to look at a television and see all the nonsense that's going because a lot of it is nonsense. There's a lot of, uh, you know, talking heads like Bill said, and people have ideas. They speak in absolutes. Um, the one thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see anyone interfere with investigators by talking to primaries on this case family members really should have a place where you know we talked about maybe uh, putting up reward handing out flyers things like that so they're frustrated i get it these things take time i have full faith i said this last night on banfield I have full faith in the law enforcement officials that are working this case right now. There's going to be a a successful conclusion to it. There's rumor that they are zeroing in, that the uh, rumor that I'm talking about was police officials actually said that things are going in a good direction, that they're making progress. So that's very, very encouraging.
0: Yeah, Phil, what I'm referring to is that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this indicates that and that indicates this and this. The wounds on this indicate, you know, and you can't 100% say that. Let me play this from Banfield last night. And this this was one of the best uh, FBI behaviorists that I think was on any show I've seen so far.
5: With each detail, this mystery of what happened behind where Brian was standing, that home at 1122 King Road, each detail we learn, the mystery becomes less cloudy, right? But how do the new details change the profile of the killer? Now that we hear that Kaylee's injuries were significantly more brutal than Maddie's, what does it mean that both girls died in Maddie's room but not Kaylee's? That is the business of Greg McCrary. He is a former FBI special agent whose job it was to construct behavioral profiles of unknown offenders. In fact, he wrote the book on it called The Unknown Darkness profiling the predators among us. Greg, thanks so much for being here. You're a perfect voice in this you know, growing mystery. These new details are significant and I wonder how a mind like yours would process them. The fact that one of these girls had far worse injuries than the other and yet was sleeping in a room that wasn't hers in the middle of the night when these murders happened. What do you make of that?
1: We have to be careful that we don't uh... Overinterpret uh, the information, and one hypothesis is that she was targeted. Perhaps that may explain the you know the uh, uh, number of wounds that are excessive in her. But I've had other cases where I've worked with multiple murders, <clears throat> where one victim has been subjected to the most violence, and turns out that wasn't a targeted victim. It was uh, the person who had put up the most resistance uh enraged the uh, killer so they they inflicted the killer inflicted more wounds on that person even though that person wasn't specifically targeted so we could be dealing
0: he's the first profile that has said that he's the first guy that said that there's a possibility that because she has uh more significant wounds that she wasn't targeted that it, maybe she resisted more so he's raising that possibility. He's the only one that I've heard that has done that so far.
1: I think with anything like that, it's, it's important not to get tunnel vision on a given hypothesis, important to have multiple competing hypotheses and then let the evidence uh, sort that out and support one and and, and maybe dismiss the other. So so have to be a little bit careful with that. <clears throat>
5: And, you know, so often we've heard, you know, from the police, from the coroner, uh, multiple reports that the kids were killed while they were sleeping. But then we hear about defensive wounds as well. And then there is this unusual aspect of two additional kids being killed or maybe three additional kids being killed if one or two were the targets. I- I'd love to get your thoughts on all of that, that, that piece that means like what kind of person would take a knife not a gun, it's impersonal, a personal knife, a difficult physical endeavor in the middle of the night and take out four people as opposed to the one or the person who put up the fight.
1: Yeah, a lot of personal, a lot of rage, obviously with this and it's up close and personal, a knife uh, stabbing, obviously you have to get very close to the victim. Um, And it's it's just a different mindset uh, with that kind of a murder than it is. A, a firearm allows you distance from the victim, you don't have to interact with them necessarily up close, so it's an entirely different uh, quality to the uh, uh, to that type of uh, homicide uh, altogether. Now from the investigator point of view, uh, uh, and again, obviously, just let me say that I haven't seen the crime scene, I don't know, I'm not involved in a case, so I don't really have any inside information, but what you have to keep in mind, especially if there are defensive wounds or a lot of stabbing wounds, which there appear to be here, from an investigative point of view, that's very important because you have the likelihood of the offender's blood being at the scene. In other words, when someone commits a stabbing injury like this or stabbing murder with multiple uh, stab wounds, there's a high probability they've cut themselves. The knife is in the strong hand, the weak hand is trying to control the victim, there's movement and then the uh, uh, wound comes to the offender he cuts himself in the either in the weekend or with a lot of blood it's very viscous can slide down a knife blade and he can cut his strong hand but regardless of the mechanics of it um, they have to process that scene very very carefully because there's likely to be offender blood at the scene which obviously the dna will be a link now another uh, lead that would spiral off of that would be to go to the emergency room of the hospital or primary care uh, facilities whatever it might be in the area uh and ask if anyone say in the days after this had come in looking to get lacerations uh, sutured up that maybe were on their hands or their arms um th- that would be something that uh you know uh, investigators should pursue and and uh you know take a look at so so great some
5: thoughts Zana's Zanna's mom, Kara Northington, uh, obviously apoplectic over what's happened and understandably so, but she did tell me exclusively on Friday night that she believes the person who did this knew the kids and that they knew the person and that it was someone they knew and trusted. I know it's difficult for a mom to process a lot of this, but does any of that resonate for you in terms of the rage that it would take to do this to four kids while they were sleeping?
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, it would take a lot of rage, a lot of anger. This is, this is, um, you know, very, very violent and multiple uh, victims like this. So it it could be someone that they knew, it could be someone that knew them, but they didn't know all that well. Uh, There's this phenomena of uh, erotomania, where someone gets a fixation on a victim, and the victim doesn't really know that, that this fixation is in place. And then the uh the automatic killer gets upset because they feel the victim is cheating on them because they go out with somebody else or you know whatever and it's a delusional thing and they go in and 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 commit the murder but again we're struck with the unusual nature of this with multiple uh multiple victims but again the crime scene is dynamic um a lot of a lot of it depends on victim offender interaction and
6: and what happened which i can't
0: I thought that this guy was fantastic and it really, you know, Phil, you know, when you work homicides like this, I would, I would always call it um, hypothesizing and theorizing and you would sit around with other detectives or a whole room of detectives and we'd speak about what we have in the investigation and what we think. And there's a lot of what people think or what specifically what the press thinks. And of course I call a lot of the folks on the uh, TV channels talking heads which we were last night, so I, I could uh, disparage myself. Phil and I were talking heads on Banfield last night. But talking heads, you know, they're just giving their opinions. And when you folks, even in the chat, give your opinions, I respect each and every one of your opinions. And I, anyone could be correct, you know. Because of my experience working in homicide doesn't mean my theory is correct. Is it a little maybe more educated? than yours. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I'm correct. I've made totally incorrect uh, predictions in my career. And so when I see all of these different talking heads, you don't know how many of them actually are right on as far as their predictions. I've heard all kinds of predictions like this is a serial killer to this is uh, a female. This is, you know, th- there's all different types of uh, of predictions and theories. Phil, what is uh, what do you think?
3: Well, I think he pointed out two very important details. One is that just because the fact that one of the victims has more stab wounds or more damage to their body than the other... And that was what Bill and I were thinking, that that doesn't mean that that's the person who's targeted. It's obvious that maybe uh, the person who has more injuries could be that they put up a fight, woke up, uh, maybe as the stabbing was uh, going on. And I hate to even get so descriptive about it. Perhaps they were struggling and they, they were only getting superficial wounds as opposed to a kill shot. So that could uh, could account for uh, you know the multiple stab wounds. But the other thing he talked about, and Bill and I mentioned it, Uh, hospital canvas for anybody that cut themselves, that's looking for sutures on, uh, you know, hand cuts, perhaps scratches to the face, uh, arm cuts, things like that, things of that nature. And Bill and I have also said, and we think it's almost an absolute, that the perpetrator of this crime slaughtered four people, went into that home. There's some type of DNA evidence, whether it be uh, blood DNA, touch DNA, fingerprints. There's some kind of forensic evidence that he left behind. Could be hair fibers, whatever it is. We don't think it's possible. It's probably almost 100% that he got in and out of there without leaving some type of physical evidence in there. And I think that's where this uh, FBI agent was going as well. I think that he made a lot of great points and his investigative skills, I think, were right on. Dr. Debbie,
4: Yes, sir. Your opinion on this. Sure. Well, I, I really have high regard and respect for Greg for, for both of you. And and if we go down this checklist, and for me as a criminologist, I also deal with research, data analytics, probability. So let's just talk about the knife for a moment, because a knife is indeed a very selective weapon and it is something that the perpetrator has decided. That we know, just logistically, you have to be in close contact with the victim. So that in and of itself also threads some level, again, not the absolute, and I like that as the platform. We're not talking about absolutes, but we are talking about potential possibility leading into probability. Um, Other types of deaths that tend to be with more of a uh, selective known pattern between the murderer and the victim would also be strangulation. Why? Because a person has to put their hands, the perpetrator and the victim, there's touch, there's contact. Uh, We also know with drownings and smotherings. So the fact for me as a criminologist that the the knife is the weapon of choice also clearly suggests a very heightened level of, of rage, of anger, And very much, again, of course, along the lines of of first degree, and I think that's an important consideration, rather than, let's say, a domestic violence scenario where we have two parties who are verbally uh, exchanging, and then it leads to physical, and then this uh, circumstance moves into a kitchen where one, perhaps, as we say, with irresistible impulse and heat of passion were to grab the knife and then proceed with a killing, we may have a completely different classification, as we know, that could be more of a second degree and possibly manslaughter. But I think this weapon selection is going to be a, a critical element in, in the conversation. And I agree with what both of you said, the science here, really the hard sciences about the evidence, about blood, about potential hair fibers, prints, all of that will thread this individual. And um, and and as we continue now, because what where we're at, I feel, is at the ruling out and the ruling in. So who has been ruled out? And as we've talked to even kind of sidebar conversations, we know that even those who were ruled out could still be ruled back in. But at least at the moment, our officials are ruling out the boyfriend the individual at the food truck the the roommates themselves um, the driver and and so therein lies the next side to the coin which is who to rule in at this point well again back to who our victims are they're young people they're 20 21 year old college students they're very social and so with a social network as both of you know and our viewers we look first at that inner circle inner circle family friends and such. So I don't think it's anybody in that realm. I, I go to the next circle of socialization. And I think we may do a deeper dive. I know our investigators are doing a tremendous job. But really, I think the the onion here and the unraveling of the layers will lie in a social media uh, platform, TikTok, Twitter, Uh, Instagram, these types of associates, and I like... You
0: know, Dr. Debbie, that that changes the whole thing, uh, how we look at things these days, is the wealth of information and the wealth of people getting involved in a homicide case from social media platforms. And, you know, Ashley Banfield pointed out last night that social media has helped in the solving of many murder cases. However... They've also interfered, uh, you know, with a great deal of them. And every time some kind of uh, investigative point of view is put forth, the real police have to check it out because sure. they'd have egg all on their face if it turned out to be true and they didn't check it out. So what does that do? A, it gives them more information, but B, it gives them 10 times more work than yes. th- they have to do just to clear Uh, or eliminate the information that is coming out of social media.
3: You know, Billy, earlier today, I heard a report that uh, there were two males that were allegedly uh, possibly stalking Kaylee. They've been spoken to and they've been cleared as far as Uh, law enforcement's concern. Now, again, we talked about it and uh, Chief Fry that uh, did the interview earlier today said the same thing. Just because we feel a person's cleared at this point does not mean that we can't re-interview them or ask them to come back in or to do a DNA sample. And he said, in fact, we've interviewed people two and three times based on tips that came in and pointed the finger back at that same individual. However, they do feel that the two people, that were uh, supposedly stalking uh, Kaylee had been cleared. One of them supposedly was just trying to meet her or try and get a date with her. And I believe the other one was cleared as far as the police are concerned.
0: This is, Phil, of the exact topic you're talking about. This is from last night from Ashley Banfield. And uh, I want to play this twofold because it brings up the next topic we're going to talk about of how can they clear people? Why do they clear people? People are getting the, the father got very upset that the uh, individual at the food truck was cleared, he felt cleared way too quickly. Let me just play this here.
5: Retired NYPD homicide detective Sergeant Bill Cannon and Detective Phil Grimaldi—they have worked hundreds of murder cases and now host the Police Off the Cuff. Gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. Um, Sergeant Cannon, I'm going to begin with you. How fast is too fast to clear a suspect in a in a case this severe, four victims of uh, of a brutal homicide?
0: You know, I think that there's a a mistaken point uh, that they're thinking that someone is cleared. You can always bring someone back in if evidence and other people's witnesses tell you that the person is involved. You have to be careful uh, of pushing too hard on someone that you're interviewing because they can always lawyer up and then the interview is over. So they can still peripherally conduct the investigation and the term that the person is cleared Person's never cleared until the investigation, or there's an arrest made. You know, so I think that they're erring. They're erring on this that uh, he's cleared. He, 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 they can always bring him back in if they have evidence against him.
5: So, Detective Grimaldi, jump in on that and and tell me about you know the kinds of alibis that would uh, would have the police say publicly so soon in the case. Nope nothing to see here. I found it odd. I've covered a lot of murders too. And I'm used to the public saying, we, you know, everyone's under umbrella of suspicion.
3: Absolutely. I think that uh, the fact that he did interact with those people around that food truck, he was probably pretty easily to identify and interview. Perhaps he did have a concrete alibi. Let's say he was on videotape somewhere. Uh, Someone said or it was reported that he drove five hours to uh, a relative's home. Uh, Did his cell phone travel that five hours? Did they clear him with that? a person gives a story doesn't mean that we're going to buy it right away. We're going to try and corroborate it, it be through uh, technology, cell phone cameras. Uh, if I find the person that, uh, the person who the hoodie guy says he was with, I want to talk to that person. I want to ask them, was he with you? What was the amount of time that he was with you? Uh, is there any way to corroborate that you're telling the truth? Uh, is there a video camera? Do you have a ring doorbell camera? Those are the type of things that I think I would be looking for. And I have to uh, big piggyback what Bill just said 100 percent just because he's been cleared does not mean that further uh, evidence is developed or interviews point at this p- particular individual doesn't mean he can't be put back into the suspect.
5: Does it mean anything, Bill, that um, that the, the family of Kaylee Gonzalez uh, has Heard and learned in some way that he is out of the country now, and that that he had not submitted DNA. It would seem to me, if you're going to clear someone, you'd say, "You know, spit in the cup on your way out. Nothing personal, but you know, we'll clear you. But just give us our, give us what we need to 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 to, to cross our T's and dot the I's."
0: You know, we had recommended early on in this investigation that every single person they interviewed, they uh, asked for voluntarily uh, to swab for DNA and to take major case fingerprints because. Also, down the road, they may need elimination DNA and elimination fingerprints uh, when they do arrest someone. So if this case goes to trial because a, de- a clever defense attorney will be pointing at all the different fingerprints and DNA that's inside that house.
5: Thank you for watching. Go to a news.
0: So. You know, I think that's been sort of the narrative of the press because the father, Steve Gonzalez, is extremely pissed off that they somehow or he feels that they eliminated or, or this individual. And we told we as you just watched, we told Ashley Banfield that no one's ever eliminated. You can always bring them back in. And what law enforcement does is they bring someone in, they take a statement in this instance, They should have taken a DNA swab, whether they did or not. I don't know. I don't know how they know all this information if law enforcement's not talking. Um, They should have taken a DNA swab and, of course, major case fingerprints, which uh, that's a term that most of you haven't heard. Major case fingerprints, what they are is their fingerprints as well as palm prints. So you have both. So they should take them of every single person they interview in this case. 100%
3: Billy. And I think uh, all of the things that you're pointing out really for me and you as an investigator, these are the common sense things that we do. Um, You know, as far as profiling goes, I get it. There's a place for that. It's not an exact science, but I do think that maybe some of the input they're given might uh, help in the investigation, but uh, it's really going to come down to, and I think we've said this at ad nauseum, it's going to come down to the physical evidence within that home. As far as the frustration of the parents, listen, I get it. We talked about this, uh, they should focus their energies on forming a coalition, getting reward, handing out flies, things of that nature. I even recommended that possibly they should get a spokesperson as a liaison between law enforcement and them. So as that person, perhaps a criminal defense attorney can be a buffer to see if, uh, you know, uh, the information that the the police are giving to the family is uh, trustworthy. And, you know, maybe they'll, uh, tell the family we don't want you to discuss this you know give perhaps some reasons and that buffer that layers on can translate that to the family and hopefully uh, everybody could stay on the same page at this point I think that's very very important that the families, uh, the media and law enforcement try to stay on the same page. We don't want to trip up, uh, you know, like Bill said, you know, perhaps, a, a, a second interview, uh, maybe a suspect, and he lawyers up that because he's seen something on the news that could really throw a monkey wrench into the whole case.
0: You know, Dr. Debbie, uh, one of the things that I'm getting a lot in the chat and from people saying the family's demanding that they searched his car. And I, I enlighten people and say, look that for that, they would need a search warrant. And for a search warrant, you need probable cause. Probable cause is the same standard for a search warrant as it is for arrest. And for those folks that aren't familiar with that, you know, the definition of probable cause is facts and circumstances that are would lead a reasonable person to believe that a crime has been committed and the person arrested committed the crime. And that's the definition word for word. But people, the parents are demanding, they say, they can't, this is America. They can't just search his car Without evidence, Doctor Debbie, would you comment upon that?
4: Yes, indeed. Well, first great interview from from both of you, and and so many good points made to again uh, remind and reiterate. But I do think the the DNA and the actual um, scientific part of this, and and any individual who has been queried, I completely agree with with you, Sergeant Bill, that we need to have them logged in, so to speak, so that we know. Uh, everything and anything, and back to the swabs and the sampling, that could really come back to be very helpful. I I do want to say that the the family members, and I I certainly do not want to be critical at all, because we know and understand in our field that a combination of, of shock and horror and dismay and the sudden tragedy and loss in this particular type of just horrendous, horrific manner Leads individuals to to feeling almost helpless and hopeless. So I certainly understand. Again, as we say in victimology, that second level and layer of of families wanting to do something because there's so much now that they grapple with. Not only directly the loss of their loved one, but but now there's some level of guilt that sets in and and conversations, whether amongst the parents themselves or within their own mindset about, well, why did we send our child here for school and why did we allow this type of housing? So so much is happening for them that I can't understand the how and why they want to proceed and and know the answers. But again, the flip side of the coin, we cannot divulge information or do anything in our field that could potentially compromise this investigation, which will ultimately again As we say, and we feel strongly trusting, having trust and faith and, you know, our devoted, dedicated officers and agents, they are doing the right things hour by hour.
0: And and, and
4: Dr. Debbie, if they did things incorrectly, when they
0: do get an arrest in this and legally the guy starts having things thrown out evidentiary wise, people are going to be saying, see, those cops did everything wrong, you know. And that's why people don't understand that they do have to keep things very close to the vest. They have to do things by the numbers, by the law, because there's going to be a defense attorney working for whoever the purpose in this case. And every single one of these broadcasts where people go on, especially people peripherally involved, they can subpoena all of that and play it in court. And all they have to do is create doubt. So that's our system. So that's what the police, why they're doing these things carefully. And look, we realize that the Moscow police haven't had a murder in seven years, but I bet they are working their butts off right now. And and they're working with the FBI and the state police. And they can, they can do it. They can rise to the occasion, believe me. Phil, I can see you want to say something.
3: Yeah, you, since you're bringing up the, uh, I guess the, the uh, prosecution end of this, and you're bringing up a, a very good point. Now this person in the chat, SSS says, his predatory behavior, speaking about hoodie guy, his predatory behavior at the food truck is circumstantial enough for probable cause, in my opinion. Not true. That behavior was definitely suspicious. However, I think if you looked at the way that the whole video took place. Yeah, it looks suspicious. He threw up the hood. Maybe when he saw the cameras, he was uh, like laying in the background, but then he engages several people and the Moscow police, the FBI, the state police, they've already said that they've interviewed this guy and they cleared him. However, that doesn't mean 100% that he's not involved in this, but just that behavior alone is not considered probable cause. Is it uh, suspicious enough to go talk to him. Yes. hundred percent. I believe that they did. And they did say that they cleared him, but you know, we have to have the letter of the law followed because like bill just brought the point, uh, bill just brought up. It's a defense attorney's job to find things that are going to create a doubt in a, uh, in a court of law, in a trial, what a jury of, of our peers. So again, so if we, we put so much out there that uh, could trip up uh, a prosecution we really don't want that in any case. I want to, uh, first of all, folks,
0: this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you're not subscribed, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. And if you want to contribute to police off the cuff, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships with count them five different levels. And you see the folks with the green font in the chat. They're part of our YouTube family and they support us. and we. One hundred percent love our fans, love our subscribers. Let me just uh, play some of this.
7: Good I'm Brian Enton live in Moscow, Idaho, for this News Nation special report. Three weeks ago, the unthinkable happened in this house behind me. Four university students brutally murdered here. Their killer not only is still on the run, but still all of this remains a mystery three weeks later. And we have breaking news tonight. New details that we have just confirmed. News Nation uh, is learning that Kaylee Gonzalez's injuries were significantly more brutal than her best friend Maddie's injuries, which may end up being a very, very important piece of evidence when it comes to determining who the target was in this attack. I have learned Kaylee and Maddie were in an upstairs room in the house. So the killer had to go specifically upstairs to get to them. And again, that new information just confirmed that Kaylee's injuries were quote, significantly more brutal.
4: Thank you for watching. Good.
0: So we know that that information came from Steve Gonzalez, and he, look, we can't say a ba- anything bad about Steve Gonzalez. He lost his daughter in the most brutal fashion. However, he's getting his information from the mortician at the funeral home. Mm. That's really not the person that should be the one determining whether the injuries are more significant on one girl as opposed to the other. The person that should be determining that is the pathologist. And this is the very information that the police do not want out there. They didn't want the information that the girls were in bed together. They didn't want information out there that the girls were on the third floor. They definitely didn't want information out that one of them had more severe wounds than the other. We played that FBI profiler that was on Banfield last night, and he, he was brilliant. He said that does not mean she was targeted. That means she could have been the one that resisted the hardest and, as a result, gotten more severe injuries. So how we interpret this is, is pretty important. Dr. Debbie, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I completely agree. Again, um, I think Greg McCrary is, is right on point. There's no absolute. I think it can absolutely be that uh, the fighting back and, and the spirit of survival was so strong that one knew they needed to fight. And I think that's a very logical approach. Is it a possibility that one among the four may have been a direct target? It's a possibility, but once more, we cannot go with any absolute. And navigating through the law enforcement channels and the experts we need to leave it up to them from a to z to figure all of this out and too much revelation again as as both of you have said could potentially compromise the investigation and we certainly don't want that we want you know, you know Doctor Debbie, yeah. the
0: biggest experts in this case are the people that know all the information mm-hmm. the investigators of not course. the outside talking heads that are making predictions the people sure. that are the experts are the people that have all the information that are zipping their lips because they
3: understand investigation. Phil? Indeed. Y- you know, Billy, um, based on on that statement that, you know, they they believe that she was targeted because of the extreme amount of wounds. Now, being inside the crime scene, which none of us have been, and we haven't heard from anybody that's been inside the crime scene, you read the crime scene. There might be other specifics that took place that you can Come to a conclusion, a pretty good conclusion, a pretty good percentage, yes, we believe this person was targeted because of A, B, and C. Like we said earlier, though, it's not an absolute. We're going to sit there. We're going to study everything. A person like Ed Wallace, Detective Ed Wallace from Duty Ron Show, who's a crime scene expert, someone like him would spend time, talk to the detectives, maybe do a little spitballing, as I always say, where you're going back and forth, and we, we believe this happened, and we're going to go through different things like the spatter, the cast-off, all the different things that we've talked about on previous shows. So once you read that crime scene really good, you've spent time there, then maybe you can get a better picture and say, we believe this person was targeted because of A, B, C, and D.
0: Yes. Penny, for your thoughts, Uh, it's possible that there was no doubt about her injuries being worse. I mean, if she was slit and Maddie was stabbed, that's a big difference. We have no idea. You know, Penny, for your thoughts, you're 100% correct. But the thing is, as the FBI profiler described, that could have occurred not because she was targeted, but because she resisted uh, more more severely. uh, And that could have, you know, enraged the killer to inflict much more severe injuries so I respect your opinion and that's a possibility but I think we have to keep an open mind and not as we said with this whole theme is not speaking in absolutes that because she has more severe injuries that means that she was targeted not necessarily and
3: that profile described how is that that's possibly not so I think that's all coming about to bill because in the early stages of uh, the coverage of this case there was uh, you know word from the mayor or uh, through the police that That it was a targeted attack and it was a crime of passion. So that's where I think a lot of people are jumping to conclusions on this case. Could she have been targeted or one of the other students been targeted? Yes, of course. We have to look at all the victimology in this case to figure that part of it out. But just to say, based on one one thing that there was more stab wounds, Bill, you brought the point up, maybe a person, you know, a person in a rage that we talked about. This was a, a, sounds like an extremely strong individual a big individual uh, in a deep, deep rage. And now someone pokes him in the eye or hits him with something. Now the rage is going to be directed toward that person at a more extreme level because now they tried to fight back. So I think that could account for the possible, uh, uh, you know, the situation we're talking about that one of the victims had more wounds than the other. Yes, and maybe
0: not. Maybe she was targeted, but I'm just saying we can't look at these things in absolutes. We have to have an open mind.
4: Right. And, okay. Go ahead,
0: Doc. Go ahead, Doc. Oh,
4: no, I just wanted to comment um, on, on Detective Phil. Remember, people who want to kill, that's their goal. They will not rest until it occurs. And I think what you're saying is, is very possible and plausible, and hence why there was more, um, the, the deeper wounding, because of the fighting back, and that interfered with the murderer's goal, which is humiliation degradation, power, control, being in charge, and any fighting back becomes even worse in his eyes. I think it's a him.
6: Absolutely. So many questions remain. No has been taken into custody uh, after those four students were found stabbed to death uh, on the morning of November the 13th. So it's been several weeks we're hearing more from police Fox News correspondent Christina Coleman is in Idaho with the very latest got her
3: to
7: college to get an education she came back in the box
8: After more than three weeks with no arrests and no big breaks in the case, the father of one of the University of Idaho victims is shedding some light on the murders. Steve Gonzalez says between his daughter, Kaylee, and her best friend, Maddie, one of them had injuries that were significantly more brutal than the other, which he says could suggest that one of them was targeted. He referred to the injuries as points of damage.
7: Their points of damage don't match. I'm just going to say it wasn't leaked to me. I earned that. I paid for that funeral. I paid for that. It's my right. You ain't taking that from me.
8: Although authorities are not confirming those details, if true, former NYPD inspector Paul Morrow says it would appear one of the women was a target. Apparently the disparity in the injuries is pretty extreme. That does seem to argue that one of them might have been targeted. Um, but you know, you again, there were counter theories that could go against that. Also, police have ruled out a number of people since the attack, but with no arrests made, Kaylee's mother is questioning their timing every day you just wake up and think today's the day we're going to hear something and you see these oh there's a break in the case and it'll just be something stupid despite mounting frustration Idaho State Police maintain they're making progress in this investigation as they continue to process evidence
3: it's a broad spectrum of things that we're looking at that we're putting back together to build a big picture and once we have that picture we really think that we'll be moving forward rapidly on this case
8: At this point, police are processing more than 6,000 phone, email, and digital media tips as part of this ongoing investigation. Reporting in Moscow, Christina Coleman, Fox News.
6: Christina, thanks so much. Okay, we want to put up on the screen now for you uh, statements put out by the Moscow police just today. We're going to put up this first one, and I'm going to read it. It goes on to say that there have been statements and speculation about this case, victim injuries, cause of death, evidence collection and processing, and investigative techniques. With the active criminal investigation, law enforcement has not released additional facts to the family or the public. We recognize the frustration this causes, and that speculation proliferates in the absence of facts. However, we firmly believe speculation and unvetted information is a disservice to the victims, their families, and our community. The Moscow Police Department is committed to providing information whenever possible, but not at the expense of compromising the investigation and the prosecution." So it almost reads like they are responding directly uh, to the father, uh, Mr. Goncalves there, uh, who told Fox News that uh, he had information that suggested that the injuries that his daughter sustained were more serious, more harmful, more targeted, than the other victims. We also have other statements in that we wanna put up as well, uh, in addition to what the police are are also saying. Let's put this up right now. Okay, I'm gonna read it. Investigators have identified an incident involving Kaylee at a local business, which may have been the stalker reference she made to friends and family. In mid-October, two males were seen inside a local business. They parted ways and one male appeared to follow Kaylee inside the business as she exited to walk toward her car. The male turned away, and it did not appear. He had any contact with her. Detectives contacted both males and learned the two were attempting to meet women at the business it Was corroborated through additional investigation. Based on, detectives believed that they needed in the murder, so
4: they I
0: think that tremendously helps the investigation. It shuts down rumors, of course, and yeah. it 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 closes the door on certain things that are just snowballing on the internet, snowballing on social media, and it takes on a life of its own until they shut the door. This was the stalk the two stalkers. We shut the door on it. They're satisfied that they're cleared again. We we spoke to that also. If they They're not ever totally cleared. If if they find evidence against these two down the road, they can always bring them back in. But being totally closed lipped, I think, in this world of social media, just causes crazy rumors out there.
3: You know, Billy, the uh, messaging seems to have gotten a lot better based on what you're just saying. We have those two statements coming from the Moscow police. I think they clear up a lot of the different things that uh, people have been talking about. And, you know, we cannot allow politics to control uh, the the direction of an investigation or how things are going to be handled. And I think politics may have come into play in the early part of this case because it's a college town and, you know, colleges don't want bad press. Uh, the, the people that live in the town, businesses, don't want bad press. But guess what? You're going to have bad press until the scumbag that killed these kids is, is brought into custody and is arrested. You're going to have bad press. So I think they got a hold of that. Their, their messaging got a lot better, it seems like. And I'm just happy that those uh, those two statements were made and cleared up some of the, uh, the nonsense rumors that we're hearing about on, on the internet. Dr. Debbie.
4: Yes, sir. So I'll add that our field is not based on on rumor and speculation we're all about the facts and and moving through uh, systems of training and education for our excellent local state and federal law enforcement officers it's all about the facts the who what when where why and how so opinions on this will again as we've said potentially compromise what we want the outcome to be and and detective you know phil is is right as well that until we have somebody in handcuffs on every media platform, traditional uh, TV, radio, social media, then we will know what the facts are and who this individual is. And that's it.
0: I got to add myself to the screen to, uh, <laughs> to to respond to that. Yeah, no, uh, you know, absolutely. And, and I want to just, uh, people in the chat have uh, talked about is it true that the um, uh, Steve Gonsalves has hired private investigators? And that is the information we are getting. Look, I will not criticize him about anything he's doing. If I, this was my child, I would be proactive. I would be frustrated with the police. I would want to know all the information as it was occurring. But that's not going to happen because the police, they're really being coached by the FBI. And the FBI is totally closed-lipped in their investigation. So the police keeping everything close to the vest. I don't specifically think that private investigators are going to help in this case because anything and everything they find out and that they give to the police, the police are going to have to reinvestigate it. So that adds a whole other layer of work for the detectives from the Moscow police.
3: Phil? You know, Billy, uh, the fact that we have – the Moscow police, their full department. We have the state police with many people, uh, many assets coming from there. We have the FBI. This is only three weeks. This is not a cold case. And I said this case is never going to be cold. My interpretation of a cold case is a case that does not have active, active investigation on a daily basis. This case is the furthest thing from a cold. Cold case. Now that's where sometimes families case gets cold. It's years down the line. They may want to hire a private investigator look into different things, but they have to let this thing play out. We we are far from a cold case. I don't think, and I would err against uh, hiring private investigators at this point. And most private in- investigators probably wouldn't even get involved into this case at this point.
2: Kaylee Gonzalez inside of a local business and then followed her out of the business as she walked toward her car. During this situation, police say the man turned away and did not appear to actually interact with Gonzalez. Investigators report they spoke to that man, as well as another man he was with that night at the local business. Detectives saying these two men were at the business trying to meet women. They also say no evidence links the two men to the murders. The local business was not named by investigators. Also on Monday, police focused on the time period between 9 at night on November 12th and 1.45 in the morning on November 13th, specifically for victims Xander Kernodal and Ethan Chapin. Chapin and Kernodal were dating the night of the murders. Investigators say Kernodal and Chapin were at a Greek house on campus. Investigators are saying any interactions, contacts, direction, and method of travel, or anything, quote, abnormal, could add context to the murders. Investigators say they are working through more than 2,600 email tips, 2,770 phone tips, and nearly 1,100 digital media submissions. However, investigators continue to ask for any information. They say, whether you believe it's significant or not, your tip could be the missing puzzle piece to help solve these murders.
0: This part is a little bit baffling to me because I would think that, uh, Ethan and, uh, and, uh Zana. uh, Zana, that they would both have had, had cell phones on them. So what is so difficult about tracking their whereabouts unless they were in the very same location? Uh, I don't understand what's so difficult about finding out where they were for those four or five hours and that's that's baffling to me right now
3: you know billy i read one of the chat, uh, one of the uh, comments in the chat, and they're talking about how perhaps Kaylee was followed from her hometown to the college. And that comes into victimology. I mean, that's a good point. Maybe there is somebody, she could have had a stalker back home, wherever it is that she lived. And, uh, you know, all part of victimology, I think it's uh, very important that, and I think, you know, it would be uh, almost unbelievable that, uh, you know, the investigators wouldn't be looking into things like this. So uh, as far as the whereabouts, yeah, that seems to be a point of contention for uh, Zana and Ethan, there uh, seems to be a couple of hour break that they left the uh, the frat party that they were at about nine o'clock, didn't re- return home to the location where the murders took place until about one. So there's a f- few hours uh, of discrepancy that they're trying to fill in the blanks. Great point, Bill. You brought up the cell phones. That would be one way to track w- uh, where their cell phones were because the cell phones will show locations along the way. So that's probably one of the things that has either already been done or is being done. Dr. Debbie.
4: Yes, sir. So um, a couple of things now back to Mr. Goncalves and why he might have a desire to hire the private investigative team, again, for some level of contribution and not feeling helpless and hopeless, because again, whether it's a father who loves his daughter dearly, a mother, who loves her son or daughter dearly, it, it's some way of, of helping to contribute. Now, will the private investigator find something of, of relevance and significance to literally identify? We'll keep it open-ended, but we do want to trust, of course, our, our local, state, and federal law enforcement officers who are round the clock doing all that they can do. You know, the thing about the cell phones we know is that that particular audience of, of 20, 21 year olds, very, very attached to their cell phones, probably 24 seven. But I think this this type of mystery where they've gone off the grid here for a couple of hours, someone would have likely uh, posted a, a tweet or a Snapchat or something, a photo that may have been a time-stamped identifier so again the continuation of the victimology and and their patterns of behavior we know if we can minute by minute but certainly within those hours that that appear very uh questionable we want to know with whom did they interact and where were they and and that would be critical i think too that type of um information well,
0: we're so used to, uh, I guess, in an urban area, uh, cell phones pinging off a cell tower. And we we had something, uh, we had a unit on the NYPD called TARU, which stood for Technical Assistance Response Unit. And they had this thing called the trigger fish, and they could actually go to the damn room you were in using your cell phone in the building right to the room. So it was so accurate, we actually would knock on someone's door like a murder and just say, Come, come out, you know, like uh, take us right to his house. It was incredible. I would think that because the FBI is working on this case, that they have all of those toys or those capabilities. And we, you know, we spoke about geofencing and we're not going to get into that again. But that's uh, the capability of pulling up every single electronic device in an area in a certain time. They have the ability to do that, too. So we're wondering, we know about all these toys and all about
3: these things. Have they done it? Or if they haven't, what are they waiting for? Bill, I just want to piggyback what Dr. Debbie just said. Uh, As far as the father, uh, Chris Gonzalez, wanting to stay proactive. I get that. He said in his... Uh, interview over the weekend that he, he lays in bed and he can't sleep because he knows his daughter was murdered, was slaughtered, and, and the person that did it is out there. But I think being proactive and working along with law enforcement, you know, we talked about maybe getting together with the other families and putting up a reward, putting up posters, doing things directed through law enforcement that uh, is not going to step on law enforcement's toes. You know, they, they're doing a lot of interviews, uh, different family members, and perhaps they're letting things out that law enforcement doesn't want let out for specific reasons related to the investigation. We don't want to preclude uh, the investigators from uh, doing their job properly. So I think a liaison, perhaps get the families together, be proactive. Of course, you know, it, it, he must feel so helpless. I can't even imagine what he's going through as well as all the other family members. But try to let let's all be on the same page is the point. Uh, law enforcement, the families, the media, if we're all on the same page, we can get to a successful conclusion to this thing without any bumps in the road.
0: Absolutely. Selena Palfrey, thank you from uh, Canada. Thank you so much for the 699 Super Chat. Thank you guys for your time. I appreciate your channel. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, let me just play a little bit of this. This is an interview that the chief of the of uh, Moscow police gave today.
5: Closely. And breaking moments ago, brand new chief, who sat down with Fox to talk about this case, the killing of these four young beautiful students at the University of Idaho who were stabbed to death in their beds in their off-campus home more than three weeks ago.
1: This case is not going cold. We have tips coming in. We have investigators out every day interviewing people. We're still reviewing evidence. We're still looking at um, all aspects of this and I said early on that um, no stone will go unturned and I mean that. We are going to continue This case is not going cold.
5: Well, we know these families want some resolution. They want this person found and convicted. Correspondent Alexis McAdams reporting live from Moscow, Idaho. Um, tell, Tell us, Alexis, what you learned when you sat down with the chief. Hi, Martha.
8: Well, first off, I mean, this was pretty much one of the first times we've been able to see the chief getting pretty emotional about this case. He went to this university. He's lived in this community for years. He has a family of his own and he was breaking down through tears, telling me this case is personal for him working around the clock to find the killer. Listen,
1: I'm a dad, um, with daughters and, um, that's tough. You know, you don't, you know, we're human. We don't, we don't go to these and, um, just turn it off. Um, it affects us. Um, but, Um, We have a job to do, and we're going to continue to do that job. We're going to continue to push forward.
8: It's been nearly one month since these innocent college kids murdered here in Moscow, Idaho, in that off-campus house that still is surrounded by Crime Tape Martha. Investigators tell me they're interviewing people every single day, looking for information that helps them piece this together, and really trying to figure out the timeline of the night when these students were murdered. Now we're learning more about people and theories that investigators are ruling out for now. Police tell me they did interview two guys in connection to a tip that Galey Gonsalves had a stalker in town. This stemmed from an incident.
0: Well, we already heard that. I just really wanted the interview with the chief that would sort of really reiterate the fact that this case is not cold. They're working their butts off on this. They're getting tips. It's active you know, and and in many ways, social media can be your best friend. It could be your worst enemy, just as we would refer to the press as that. The press can be your best friend and they could be your worst enemy because the press puts a lot of they throw out a lot of rumors, too. I'll put it that way. They throw out unconfirmed information as fact, and that's problematic. I think I want to just touch upon the private investigators. You know, I worked real major cases in Manhattan North. Uh, We covered 12 precincts in the north of Manhattan, one of them being the 19th, which is like it's like Hollywood of the uh, of of Manhattan. And when we had we had major cases, I'll just let you know that we would never, ever talk to a private investigator on a major case. We would never, even if they were former NYPD we would not let them in to the inner circle. We would not share information with them. Of course. So whatever they find out is, and lots of times and not all private investigators like to try to make the police look stupid because a, they want, they're getting paid hourly and they want to make, uh, they want to earn their money to the person. And in this case, the father of one of the victims. So they want to make it known that they're doing something. So, in that sense, I, you know, it's good that Steve Goncalves will be kept up to date on what's going on.
3: However, the police are not going to share information with these private investigators You know, Billy, think think about it. I mean, if you're working a high-profile homicide investigation, as you have, as I have, um, there's so much focus. You're under a microscope between the supervisors in the police department, you know, from the police commissioner, the mayor's office, all the prosecutors, everyone's looking at it, and then you have the media. So now you have another component that wants to come in and maybe like critique your work or get information and and try to upstage you. So again, uh, we would keep it very close to the vest. I agree with you, Billy. I wouldn't be talking to a private investigator on a case like this, because they have no right to be in the, in, the, in the circle of a case like this.
0: You know, I remember there was this one case where this guy killed this girl and he threw her in a suitcase, and we we found her on 114th Street, down the block from Rayo's, that famous restaurant. And um, I remember all these talking heads were on TV, and they had we caught the perpetrator on video wheeling the suitcase that contained the body of the victim in it. And he was very light-skinned male black. But all the investigators on TV said, I don't know why the police are saying this is a male black. This is clearly a male white, you know. And, you know, we arrested him. He was a male black. So shut up when you don't know things. Just shut up, you know. And it seems like they went on TV specifically to try to make us look bad. But we knew we had the guy ID'd already, you know. And they were saying, oh, the police... So I know what it's like to watch, um, you know, watch somebody's talking heads. So that's why sometimes I'm not so kind when referring to them. Phil, I'd just like you to
3: do that before... Bill, I have a quick question for Dr. Debbie. And I threw this out there in the last couple of episodes that we did that not only should police be looking for someone who was injured, I said they should also be considering a hundred mile radius, let's say, of anyone that perhaps committed suicide. What do you think the chances are or likelihood of a person like this now uh, faced with killing these four people? It's all over the media. What do you think the chances are that this person may have committed suicide?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. And I can answer it with statistics and probability that unless they die on the scene and self-inflict, the probability is that this individual is sitting somewhere keeping track of all that's going on for, for nearly 30 days. And I do believe the individual is still within close proximity. And you know, one of the journalists and, and reporters had asked me, Well, Dr. Debbie, you you tend to not want to use the name of the suspect, even when we know his name. And that is true. That's a personal and professional decision that I make as a criminologist, uh, Sergeant Phil, Detective Phil. Why? Because many of these killers, again, at the onset of the conversation, whether it's the singular murderer, the, the individual committing double homicide, mass murder, school-based shooting, mass shootings, they want to be somebody. These are people who traditionally are we'll say, um, invisibles. The people along the way in their lives and lifestyles, nobody really knows of them. They're not doing anything contributory in a positive way. And when they make a decision to do something like this of such an atrocious, heinous manner, they are now enjoying, unfortunately, uh, the focus on them and the attention. Whether we know his name yet or not, I do not believe this individual has self-inflicted if and when they self-inflict, it is at the scene and or by law enforcement. You know, Dr.
0: Debbie, I remember I spoke to you before the show and I, I said, oh, I probably won't remember this question. But because Phil asked the question, <laughs> I remember it. This is an international story. College kids are pretty much the same everywhere in the world. How are the students at St. Thomas University how has this affected them?
4: Right. Well, thank you for asking. And and many of whom are are watching the show today. They're they're big fans of both of you and the platform, as am I. And so here's the impact. The impact is it's one thing when we talk about a textbook case. We talk about. Situation. Now, what we do every day in all of our criminal justice courses, not just me, but our other professors, is that we go 15 minutes in of the actual real time, real life, high profile crime cases. So, as soon as this happened, the students were absolutely just, Professor, how could it be? And what happened? And what do you think? So, we're talking about it every day. They're very concerned, they're very caring and compassionate, and certainly understand the intersection, as we say, of criminology, victimology, sociology, psychology, and we are having daily conversations. They're they're somewhat, you know, even with the safety, survival, security mindset of, wow, you know, this happened at a a mega uh, campus and university, and yet we are still recovering from what happened at the University of Virginia, where we also had uh, three young people killed by their fellow student and we're still recovering from the uh, the colorado case and 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 then the walmart uh, shooting as well so so when we look at all of this it becomes um real life but real life in a way that is so unsettling and so disturbing because the question is always why why did it happen now what how are we going to find this person? And then, what is it? Is it a death penalty case? Is it a life sentence times four? So, all of the unknowns. But they're very, uh, you know, aware. My students very smart, and and it's just such a pleasure and joy to work with them. Our next generation of, of criminal justice leaders.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's pretty clear that. Uh... You know we live in an unpredictable and and violent world, and uh, you know people really have to be prepared when uh, for some of the worst of this world. You know it does exist; evil does exist, and you know sometimes there's some that preach that it doesn't, but it does exist. And you know the politics we spoke about the politics of this too, right? You know, and that was why the messaging early on was incorrect. I felt it was highly political and then they realized what they had said and done and they quickly corrected it but at some point it may have been too late to correct some of the damage that they had done phil uh we're about an hour and 11 minutes we went over our hour by a lot uh final words and then i'll go to dr debbie and then we'll say sayonara
3: Thank you, Dr. Debbie, for coming on tonight. I thought you brought some great insight to our show tonight. Uh, As I've said previously, let's just hope that we get a a successful conclusion to this case sooner rather than later thoughts and prayers to these families and to these poor children that were slain. Um, And uh, you know, let's uh, give the Moscow police, the FBI and the state police in Idaho, the benefit of the doubt here. I'm sure they're working hard and tirelessly. And I think uh, we're going to get a conclusion that is gonna be satisfactory to everyone. Absolutely, Dr. Debbie, final words.
4: Yes, well, thank you so much, uh, Sergeant Bill, Detective Phil, great honor to to come on the platform and, and join you for the conversation. I have such respect, admiration, appreciation, of course, for both of you, all of the years of contribution and for all of our local state and federal officers on this case and beyond. Again, we know we have close to 1 million Uh, law enforcement representatives in our country. They're doing a great job every day, demonstrating their dedication, devotion. And I do feel strongly on this case that we will bring it to closure. This will absolutely not be a cold case. We will have somebody in custody, and I believe that's coming very soon.
0: Dr. Debbie, I I totally agree with you. And I think we had mentioned uh, numerous times that we believe science is going to solve this case. But You still have to be uh, wearing out those gum shoes, as we call detectives in New York City. You got to keep talking to people. Keep shaking the tree. You know, we say that all the time. And we hear now some of the broadcasters are using that. I think they stole it from police off the cuff. So we may have to go visit them, Phil, to 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 get our saying back. All you folks that tuned in tonight, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in on behalf of myself, Bill Cannon, Phil Grimaldi. And Dr. Debbie, a special guest tonight. Have a great night. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, everyone.
4: One episode, just saying enough.